Good morning. I'm so glad you could be with me today in our Unfolding the Word studies together. We're in the midst of an extended study of 1 John. We're now in the third chapter. Over the last several days, we've been examining a portion of that third chapter, verses 11 to 15 to be exact, that uh, are talking about living like Christ or living like Cain. Let me read those verses and we'll get back into our study today. Verse 11 of chapter 3 of the first epistle of John. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. So do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever doesn't love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and we know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Well, quickly, as you know, we've spent a couple days on this on these verses, these very important verses. The context in chapter 3 has been the discussion about the wonder of being able to be called the children of God, to be given that privilege through our repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we've been examining some of the contrasts between those who are children of God and those who aren't. Another way to say that is we've been looking at some of those characteristics of the child of God. And we've been underscoring in those verses, as God underscores it for us, that there are two great families in this world, the family of God, filled with those who have been redeemed, who have placed their faith in Jesus, and those who are the children of the devil. There are no independents out there. One is either in one family or the other. They may not always realize that they are in the devil's family, but that's the truth. We only get put in God's family in response to faith. In these verses that I read to you, the characteristic that's being discussed is this, that the child of God doesn't act like Cain in Cain's example. Instead, they act in the opposite way. Genesis chapter 4 introduced us to Cain and his brother Abel. And that early episode in the first generation following the fall of mankind. And the episode was all about how one deals with their sin, because everyone is a sinner. And all need to find forgiveness and transference from guilt. Abel, in that first generation, came to God God's way. God had defined blood sacrifice was the way to deal with the guilt of sin. It was a temporary covering pointing toward the eventual shedding of the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, which would be the permanent solution to sin of those who would respond in faith. Cain, rejecting that direction from God, said, I'm going to come to God on my own terms. I'll give God what I want to give him, and God should be obligated to accept me on my terms. And, of course, God didn't accept him. <laughs> and that rejection of Cain's response to God led to four responses within Cain. And once again, Cain reflects for us the nature of natural man, the nature of the world itself. Cain was angry at God because God would not accept him on his own terms. He rejected the conviction he had to be feeling in his heart about the sin that he had done and the rejection of God. He refused to repent because God continued to call for him to do that. All was not done. God said, you can still be accepted if you'll come my way, but he refused to do that. 
And then yesterday we were looking at the fact that the anger that he felt toward God ended up shifting. And it's not that he stopped being angry at God, but it shifted into an anger toward Abel and all that Abel represented. The very presence of people who came to God God's way became intolerable to those who refused to come to God God's way. Cain found it intolerable to have the presence of his brother Abel, and so eventually he killed him. And his response to Abel, not just that he was his brother, but his response to those who are right with God, who've come to God God's way, which is through sacrifice, uh, proved Cain's true family ties. So now we're coming back to the earlier issue in 1 John, whose family are you in anyway? <laughs> Hatred toward those who've been redeemed is a characteristic of those who are of the enemy's family, not the family of God. Yesterday we talked about John 15, verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So why all this focus? Let's draw it all together so we can move on to other verses. Why this focus on the episode with Cain and Abel? Well, God gave us that episode in Genesis chapter 4 to explain the dynamics of much of the rest of the scriptures, the dynamics of sin and the dynamics of responding to God or refusing to respond to God and the way God has said that we need to respond. The expression of attitude toward the believer. Do we have agape love toward the believer, or do we not have agape love toward the believer, is intended to prove our true family. Now, some have looked at these verses and said, well, he's talking about love of the whole world. But that's not really the case. It isn't that we shouldn't be loving the world. Jesus tells us that we shouldn't be loving our enemies. But in 1 John chapter 3, the issue is how are we responding to the children of God? How are we responding to those who have come to Christ and resting in the work of Christ on the cross? He says, listen, if we are feeling agape and expressing agape love toward them, that proves that we're part of the children of God. If instead we're feeling resentment, Cain's attitudes toward those who have repented and believed, then that's proof that we are part of the enemy's family. Now, why is that the case? Well, Romans 5.5 5 tells us, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And the word love in this case, and also in 1 John, is the Greek word agape. One of the things that happens when we turn in repentance and faith to the Lord Jesus Christ is that we are made new, we are saved, we are, made, we are born anew, we are made children of God, and God pours into our life agape love, selflessness, and that love is an expression of his grace and mercy to us. And therefore, if we've come to know Christ, if we've been made a child of God, then that love will be there. And God is intending that it be expressed. When we feel agape stirring in our hearts, it proves to us that we passed out of death into life. Agape, expression of love, is so central to all of that. And again, it's not love toward humanity in general, although God certainly is calling for that, but not in these verses. 
In these verses, he's talking about our response to believers. And he says, those who've truly been born anew, they find welling up within them agape toward those who have been saved. Now, they may be rebelling against it at times, but nonetheless, it's welling up inside. And that very presence of agape proves to us that we are children of God. By the way, that's why back in chapter 2 of 1 John, and you might want to go back and review it, we learned that one of the tests to know that we really know Christ is the agape presence within our life and its expression toward others. The absence of agape proves an unsaved condition. The absence of agape, especially toward the redeemed, proves an unsaved condition. That's why we were talking yesterday out of 1 Peter chapter 4, that those who are unsaved can't understand those who become saved, and they malign them and are angry at them because they their very presence provides a contrast that's convicting to them. The lack of agape proves an unsaved condition. It says in, in here that they abide in death, verse 14. They're still dead, in other words. They're abiding in death, meaning not that they were alive one time and then became dead. It proves that they never were alive. Why? Because once we are born anew, God pours agape within us. We don't have any choice in that. And therefore, the presence of it is a key indicator that we've come to know the Lord. By the way, this passage also underscores for us the truth that all people are spiritually dead apart from Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 develops that much further for us in describing how we are dead in our sins, uh, without God in this world and without hope. That's the truth of all humanity. Only in Christ do we find life, real and eternal. He then ends this passage by reminding us that the absence of love is not just a regrettable situation, but the absence of love, the refusal to show it, becomes murder in God's eyes. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Jesus has told us in Matthew chapter 5, you've heard that it was said, of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. So the issue of refusing or not having agape and not showing it toward the brothers is taken very seriously by God. And it simply adds more to the condemnation of those who don't know Jesus Christ. John Calvin uh, said one time, we wish him to perish whom we hate. That's picking up on the Cain dynamic, isn't it? And that Cain dynamic is real in our world. You and I live in the reality of it day after day. Well, tomorrow, join me again, Lord willing, and we're going to go into the upcoming verses where verses 16 to 18 explain to us more of the Christ's example of how agape works out within the course of life. Join me then, won't you, as we shift gears to look more fully at agape is exampled by Christ. God bless.